You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. We have started with our series, Looking into the Miracles of Our Lord Jesus Christ in the book of John, right? So we've covered John chapter 2 last week, and we will have John chapter 4, right? So turn your Bibles with me for to John chapter 4. What I have here is verses 46 down to verse 54. Now, you'll need your Bibles with you because instead of starting with 46, I'd like first to start with verse 43. We'll read it all the way down to verse 56. Are you folks there? It says here, after two days, Jesus departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this official heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. But the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when we began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. All right, let me just get into this now. We'll try to cover verses 43 down to verse 56. We'll try to divide this into two sections. What I want to attempt to do here is first, I want to simply look at the entirety of the passage, what it actually means or what this entire passage is telling us. And then later, after looking to that, I'd like to look into the particulars of the miracle. So we'll do a quick, perhaps, survey of the passage, and then we'll look at the particulars of the miracle. Now, if we are keen in looking at this story, we'd realize that there is something confusing in this story. There are actually two verses that's actually problematic in this entire passage. Pag binasa mo lang, if you read it quickly, you will not really notice it. But when you start reading it slowly, you folks read your Bible that way. You read it fast and then you read it slow. But when you start reading slowly, you realize, wait a second, there's something in this story that doesn't add up. There are two verses here that don't seem to fit the entire narrative. When I say verses 43 down to verse 56, I'm looking at it as one narrative, as one story, and yet there are two verses here that's quite odd. The first one, is found in verse 44. In verse 44, open parenthesis, close parenthesis, look at this. It says here, For Jesus himself 
testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So if you look at verse 44, you'd see quickly that it doesn't fit with verses 43 and 45. Let me read it for everyone. After two days, he departed for Galilee. Let me look at verse 45. Then it says here, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. And sandwiched between those two verses, it says here that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So what was his hometown? Galilee was his hometown, isn't it? Well, we understand it's from Nazareth, but the region is actually Galilee. So John was like, he went back to Galilee, all right? He was welcome in Galilee, but Jesus said a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Does it make sense? The other one is found in verse 48. It says here in verse 48, look at this. He was talking to the official. Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. All right? Then look at verse 50. Then it says here, go, your son will live. Kita niyo All right, so what's happening here was an official went to him and was asking him to heal his son. I don't know. I mean, just try to put yourself in that story. May pagkamal dito ang tubag ni Jesus. Right? I mean, I don't have the audacity to, you know, for someone to come up to me and the person could be crying and asking for the healing of his son. And then I'll correct the person, I'll tell the person, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I mean, why not just pray na lang for healing, isn't it? But here, what's odd here, it doesn't make sense because in verse 48, he says that, and yet, he heals the child anyway. As we as evidenced in verse 50. Go, your son will live. So, what's going on here? What's happening here? First, what's with the statement about the prophet without honor in his hometown? And what's with the statement that he talks this way, kind of rude, to this official, and yet he heals the son anyway? I feel like when we get to grasp these two verses will understand what the entire story is all about. I know that an easy way perhaps for us to cover this is to jump straight to the miracle. We can actually jump straight to the miracle and tell everyone, Jesus did this for him, he could actually do this for you. True enough, we understand that Jesus could actually do that. But I think to add flesh to the bones, we need to understand these two verses first. So let me look at the first one. He says, a prophet has no honor in his own town. I rephrase that. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So the word hometown here, when I checked this, in its original Greek is the word patris. Or you can actually say the paterland or the fatherland. And true enough, different commentaries have different opinions about what this specific verse is all about. In fact, there's a commentary that says that this is actually talking about Jesus being, you know, coming from heaven and he comes to us and he has no honor in the earth. Well, you can actually consider that. But I don't think that is what this passage is all about. So the easiest way to understand this is that we have to understand that in verse 43, it says, After two days, he departed for Galilee. So let me pause there for a while. What happened? Where was he the past two days? I'd like for you to look at your Bibles for a while. Where, where was he the past two days? He was in a place called Samaria. All right, he was in Samaria. Remember, this is in John chapter 4. What was he doing in Samaria? He was talking with a woman at the well. Remember? 
And a lot of people, a lot of the local folks in Samaria started gathering around him. And in fact, look at this. In fact, they begged him to stay, right? So we want to hear more. We want more. These are not Jewish people. We want more. So they begged Jesus to stay. So that's why he stayed there for two days. So what we have here is that Jesus now, after two days, is coming back to his native land of Galilee. Like what I said, you could actually say, I thought he was from Nazareth, but yes, he was from this little town of Nazareth, but Nazareth technically is still in the region of Galilee. So let me just further qualify this. He was in Samaria. Jesus was not a Samaritan. All right? He was returning to his Paterland. He was returning to what? To Jewish soil. He was returning to his own people. He was returning to his own place after days of doing ministry in a different land. So he's living in Samaria. And I'd like for us to understand that the context of this was that he was warmly received in Samaria. Isn't it? Right? He was warmly received in Samaria. So what we have here is that Jesus is deliberately living a place of honor. Look at verse 44. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So he was warmly received in Samaria. He was living a place of great honor. He was esteemed to a place of less to no honor. All right? That is what we have here. He was living that place, and this was not accidental because look at how it starts. In verse 44, it starts with the word for, isn't it? It starts with the word for, meaning to say Jesus purposed himself, said, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Meaning to say this was his choosing. He chose to come to a place wherein he will not be honored. If we're strictly looking at verse 44, Jesus himself chose to operate this way. I want us to understand that that is not normal. In a sense, that is not normal because you always want to go to something better. You always want to go to somewhere more beautiful, something more better. People who would receive you. But here, he simply chooses to go to a place where he will not be honored. Let me put it this way. Um, I've been in this city. This is my 20th year in Dumaguete. And I love the people of Dumaguete. And when I was a freshman college here, I have several friends. But much of my friends right now are church people, you guys. So when I see you folks at Lee Plaza or Robinson's, you greet me this way. Hi, Pastor Archie. Good afternoon. Hello, Pastor. Good afternoon. You greet me that way. Last December, a friend of mine came over for vacation. I haven't seen this guy for like more than a decade. And here's how he calls me. Hui Rashid! You catch it? He simply calls me that way. I mean, doesn't care about who I am and whatever. He's not from the church. So it's different. You know what I'm talking about. This is a person that you basically hang out with before. This is a friend of yours. So to a certain extent, people's perception of you in your hometown is actually different from how you are perceived in the places where you're in. I even have friends back in college who would deliberately change their name. They would really change their name because they really hated what they were called when they were in high school and stuff like that. So I guess you know what I'm talking about. So this is quite strange because I'd like first to understand that Jesus was actually doing his ministry. So now he's heading back to Galilee. And come to imagine this, if you have a group of people who actually knew you, who actually knew who your father was, that you're the son of the carpenter, and then you come back and tell them, by the way, guys, I'm God. Right? That doesn't make sense. In fact, if you look at this, even James, his brother, took him a while for him to really understand who his brother really was. 
And it's actually not a safe proclamation to say something like that because you know what happened to Joseph the dreamer when he mentioned his dream to his brothers. So, so much for that. Going to verse 45 now. If you look at verse 44, how does this fit with verse 45? Because verse 45 says, So when Jesus came to Galilee, the Galileans, what does it say? Welcomed him, isn't it? Tama po ba? So verse 44, if you don't get it, is loosely connected with verse 45. In fact, they're opposite. Jesus says, in my hometown, there's no honor. I will not receive any honor. But it says here, the narrative, John says, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans actually welcomed him. All right? So, which is which? Is there really no honor? But I feel like people were actually waiting in line to see him because he was getting so popular in that sense. So, here's how we ought to understand this. I'd like first to go to John chapter 2. Would you please go to verse 23? Look at this. It says here, Now, when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the, what does it say? Passover feast. You realize that there are three pilgrimages to a feast that they go to. This is one of those, a Passover feast. Look at this. Many believed this name when they saw the signs he was doing. Catch it? What do we have here? You folks remember Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. There was also what? The feast of the Pentecost. And many people were in, were in Jerusalem, isn't it? There were Libyans in Jerusalem. There were Syrians, just people flocking towards Jerusalem. So people go to Jerusalem. So it's safe to say that the Galileans were in Jerusalem. What do you think about that? If John chapter 2 verse 23 says, There was a feast in Jerusalem. And then people were flocking there. So the thing here is the Galileans were actually there. They were present, isn't it? The Galileans were present. Now, what did they witness? Look at this in verse 23. They witnessed the signs that he was doing. Who witnessed the signs that he was doing? The Galileans witnessed the signs that Jesus was doing. Now look at verse 24. A verse after that. Look at verse 24. It says here in verse 24, But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. So it's like this. He did some signs in Jerusalem. People trust him. People are awed of what he was doing. But Jesus, it says here, Jesus did not entrust himself to them. They trust him, but Jesus doesn't entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. All right? So that's our clue in understanding what verse 44 actually is all about. It says here, the Galileans welcomed him. But guess what? Look at this one. Why did the Galileans welcome him? Read the entire verse 45. Having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem. Right? So, gusto ko lang one page tayong lahat. I'd like first to get this. Verse 45 says, The Galileans welcomed him. I'd like to put the word because there, because they saw what he did in Jerusalem. John chapter 2, verse 23 teaches us that in Jerusalem, kasi, he did many signs. Catch it? Alright? So, what we have here is the fact that, and I want us to catch this. People were welcoming him 
for His miracles. Right? People were welcoming Him because look at this. I want to qualify this further because it was very clear that Jesus said, I do not entrust myself to you because your trust, your belief on me is superficial. You're only in here for the show. You're only in here for the singing. You're only in here for your favorite song. You're only in here for the aircon. In essence, that's what Jesus was actually saying. He was welcomed, but that is not the welcome that he wanted. That's how they showed Jesus how welcoming they were, but that is not the welcome that Jesus had in his mind. Because you folks are here only for the miracles. And that is not what Jesus was actually looking for. So in essence, if you could add words to what was happening in the crowd. Have you ever been in a crowd before? Other than like a mosh pit or whatever? Imagine the crowd talking to each other. They would give titles to Jesus. I don't think they would actually say, hey, let's all line up. Let's welcome because Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. That's not what they were actually saying to each other. They were saying was something like this. Hey guys, let's line up. Let's line up because the miracle worker is here. The magician is here. The one who works wonder is here. The one who's going to give us something is actually with us this very day. So in essence, that's what we have here. That's verse 44 and verse 45. That's how to explain that. That's how we ought to understand it rather. Now let's look into verse 48. Look at verse 48. Just let me begin with verse 47. When this man, this official, heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Right? For he was at the point of death. So the official, St. Jerome, actually gave him a name or identified him as a guy by the name of Platinus. Right? Can't be verified though. But he was saying, his title there is, he was actually a quote-unquote little king. He actually works for Herod Antipas, which oversees the district of Galilee. Alright, so you're talking about a who's who. Alright, and he stays in Capernaum and he made a journey all the way from Capernaum going to Galilee. How many of you could actually relate to something like that? You know, when you're desperate, you're going to do all sorts of things to experience healing and stuff like that. And as a parent, you understand is that, you know, you could actually relate to what this official was feeling at that very moment. So it says here in verse 47, he went to ask him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Look at verse 48. Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe, right? Try to imagine that Jesus looking squarely at this high-ranking little king and tells this little king, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. But the interesting thing here is the word you hear is actually in its plural. So in a sense, Jesus took advantage of the crowd or rather the reception of this official 
And the you here was actually plural. In a sense, what Jesus was actually doing was, he was actually what? Using this man as an instrument to address the crowd. It wasn't directed to the official actually, though perhaps he was also there for the miracle of course, but he was actually addressing the crowd. He was simply telling them, you are just a mere crowd, but you're not really followers. You're not really my followers. You only follow me for the signs and the miracles. He was essentially saying that you're here, but you're not really my disciples. It's quite you know, scary for Jesus to say something like that. What happens next, we understand, was the official came to him and tells him, Sir, addresses Jesus as Sir. Sir, please come. For my child is about to die. I like the fact that I realize that this man perhaps has never begged ever in his life. And right now he's becoming like a squeaky wheel, getting to Jesus and wanting Jesus to actually heal his son out of desperation because his child was about to die. And to cut the short story, what happened next? What does Jesus tell him? Go. Go back home. Make your way home. Because your son will live. So, all right. So, he was like, um, can you go with me for an assurance that my son will actually live? Can I at least hold your hand and bring you to my son? I have my chariots here, whatever it is that you need. I can bring you there quickly and get you back here quickly as well. But Bible says he took Jesus at his word. And went back to his hometown in Capernaum. And halfway to his hometown, this is how rich this person is, his servants meet him. And what does his servant tell him? Your son's fever is gone. So what does he do? He starts asking, okay, when did this happen? At this time, and it was like, oh, that was the time that that man from Galilee actually told me that my son will live. What is this story all about, if you look at this? Of course, you know, this actually gives us a picture of two contrasting faith. A genuine one and a fake one. It's a story about a man's request that was granted not because of, but despite of Jesus not having honor in his hometown. And I think that says a lot about who Jesus is. The interesting thing here is, in verse 43 to 44, it highlights that Jesus was back in his hometown. He was with his own people. He was in his own soil. What do we have here? The people who are closest to Jesus, closest to his upbringing, closest by nationality, closest by geography, as we understand, still do not know him. It's kind of like this. I don't do this anymore, of course, right? So when I was younger, my two older brothers, we love playing yung kabayo ba? Alam niyo Carrera. I really forgot what it's called. But anyway, it's a bet. It's gambling. We love gambling, my brothers and I. So we play. And then if one of us would win, like we would win 1,000 pesos. The moment we get to our part of the neighborhood, the closest people to us, you know what they would ask us right away? Balato, Right? Balato, I don't know how to translate that in English, sorry. But it's not commission, but it's just balato. You know, people would ask us for something. 
And in essence, this is what you have here. They only want Jesus for what he can actually give them by virtue of the fact that, hey, we are friends. We we're childhood friends. The people who were closest to him were the group of people who did not understand who he was. And I think we have to understand what the point of John is because if you look at this, the child here was already at the point of death and we can feel and empathize with the father. But if you look at this closely, you would realize that the things that you want as a Christian, the things that we want sometimes as Christians, are the same things that other people or unbelievers actually also want. Say, for instance, you don't have to have a regenerate heart to want healing. Do you have to be a Christian to want healing? I don't think so. Right? Whether you are a believer or unbeliever, people would always want healing. Let's put it this way for a while. Whether you are a Christian or not, for some of you, you want to meet a godly husband. You want to get married in the future. So if that is your quote-unquote prayer, that's also their prayer. My point in saying that is that if you look at this, you don't need to be born again to want Jesus to fix your life. We all want our life fixed. We all want to be happy, isn't it? There's always a pursuit to be happy, a pursuit for wellness, a pursuit for a luxury even. At the end of the day, you don't have to have a regenerate heart to what? To want Jesus to fix your life. But you need to have a regenerate heart to want Jesus to be Lord over your life. So, I think huh, the problem with the Galileans is the same with our problems right now. We look at Jesus as a handyman. Jesus, fix this, please. Jesus, please give this. When we pray to the Lord, it's always, Lord, please improve, please promote, please fix, please give. Lord, I want to be a little better, a little happier. Like what I said, none of those things are wrong. But guess what? Even people who are not praying desire those things for their life. So these Galileans had in mind that they simply want someone who will provide for their needs. And I want us to understand that sometimes, as Christians, we are like that. Sometimes as Christians, we are merely consumers. We want to keep receiving and receiving, but there's no manifestation of any lordship of Christ in our life. They wanted the power more than the person. And you've heard this so many times. They wanted the gift more than the giver. They're only in the church. I don't know why. Because of hype. Because of fellowship. Because uh, nakagawi na namin to. Since bata, dinadala na kami sa simbahan. So, Christian, siguro ako. Natanong nyo na ba sa sarili nyo kung talagang Christian kayo? Kasi po ako, sa totoo lang, naitanong ko sa sarili ko ilang beses na rin. Sometimes we have to assess our life. I mean, who is Jesus to us? Are we like the Galileans? I'm only here for the wonderful life. I was even telling Rian that if this has become like a tarshish for us, then... I'm more than willing to pack our staff and go to the nation of Afghanistan or whatever. 
Please turn your Bibles to John chapter 2. Look at John chapter 2, verse 11. And then put your other finger in John chapter 4, verse 53. Don't worry, I'm going to wait for you to do that. Look at John chapter 2, verse 11. Look at this. Remember this? This was the preaching last Sunday, isn't it? Right? It says here, This the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested in his glory. Look at this one. Read it with me. And his disciples believed in him. Now, go to John chapter 4, verse 53. Look at this. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. Catch it? What do we have here? The two signs, the first one at Canaan and Galilee, and the second as well in Canaan and Galilee. Right? These two signs in John chapter 2 and John chapter 4, these two signs ended with belief. It ended with belief. That's what we have here. So that's interesting because like what he said, you know, John is a master writer. I realized that John is actually taking three chapters and making it as one unit. So I want us to understand this. Chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4 is one unit, right? There's something that John would want us to understand here. Now look at this one. If John chapter 2, 3, 4 is one unit, what do we have here? It is bookended with what? Book ended with miracles in Cana in Galilee. Right? John chapter 2, miracle in Cana in Galilee. John chapter 4, miracle in Cana in Galilee as well. It's one unit and John would want us to look into that. It's book ended by these uh, this miracles, these two miracles that we find that happened in Cana in Galilee. Now, I want us to notice this. Let's look at these miracles for a while. With the exception of his hand-chosen disciples, let's set them aside. Let's set aside the disciples of Jesus. Let's try to understand this. We would realize that the insiders, who are the insiders? The Galileans, right? Hometown. The friends, the neighbors of Jesus, right? So the Galileans were the insiders. Now, look at this. John chapter 2, Jesus actually goes to the temple. You'll find that right after the story of turning water into wine, this is the setting of... He went to the temple, right? He went to the temple. What did he do in the temple? He cleanses the temple. He overturned the tables in the temple, isn't it? He drives out the money changers. He tells them, you've turned this place into a den of robbers. All right? He does some signs there that people would believe in him. But we've already said that Jesus actually did not entrust himself to them. So who were in the temple? There were so many festivities around Jerusalem, but only the what? The Jewish people were inside the temple, isn't it? So, are we talking about insiders? They were insiders. Now, look at John chapter 3. There's one character there that Jesus was talking to. And this is a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. Right? By the name of Nicodemus. And they were having a conversation. He was well-respected. Was he an insider or an outsider? He was an insider, right? He was an insider, and yet he still did not get it. At that junction, he doesn't get it. So people in the temple, they didn't get it. Nicodemus, Pharisee insider, didn't get it. Now look at John chapter 4. The Galileans, insider or outsiders? Insiders, they also what? Did not get it. In all of these occasions, in all of these occasions, the insiders didn't get it. But who got the message of Jesus? 
the Gentile official, an outsider, the Samaritan woman, and the entire neighborhood of that Samaritan woman. These people were outsiders. And if you look at that, in both instances, the official and the Samaritans, they actually told, they actually said that we believe your word. While the insiders were, were here for the miracles, we'll believe your miracles. But the outsiders were like, we believe your word. If you say so, okay, we're going to bank ourselves into it, our life into it. What we have here is that the people who are closest to Jesus are the ones who do not see these things. They're the ones who's not getting this. Now, all that to say, let me bring it now to all of us. Between us and the people at Bose Coffee right now, between us and the people at Robinson's Grocery right now, who's the insider? Come on now. Us. Who has the biggest chances of not getting this? Us. So I'd like for us to understand that I am not saying that you're not getting this, but the tendency is actually there. That we might be here on a Thursday prayer meeting. We might be here as early as 7 in the morning to serve. You might be the first one to come here at the 9 a.m. service. You've been doing this. You've been doing that. And yet, you still do not get it. And the chances are actually high. And the people who would actually get this are the outsiders. And my prayer for us is we will not miss these things. Or rather, these things will not happen to us. I want to look at the miracles, or particularly the miracle of Jesus. I want to look into this specific miracle for a while. Or what are some truths that we can understand from this? Here's the first one. I realize that the power of Jesus is not constrained by the past. Because it says here, verse 46, it says here, He came again. He came again to Cana in Galilee. It says he came once more. Guess what? This wasn't his second miracle. But this is the second time he performed a miracle in the same location. The first one, he transformed a substance. The second one, he transformed sickness. You know what this tells me? Look at this. It excites me. You know why? Because I realize my Jesus is not a one-shot wonder. that one-shot wonder. I look into this and realize, wait a second, okay, some of you here, you're praying. I read some of your prayer requests. Some of you here, your prayers that, Lord, um, how come you've answered things in the past and you seem so silent in my time right now? While I was looking at this, I realized, wait a second, there are two advents that Jesus did. Two comings, isn't it? Two advents, two comings. The first one was His incarnation. And are we happy with His incarnation? Of course we are. But that's not the end of it all. Patikim lang yun. The second advent, the second coming is what? His consummation. When we will lose the ability to cry, Amen? We will know a place that knows no tears, that knows no pain. What do you think about 
asking the Lord for fresh miracles today. Yung iba sa inyo medyo, you look at your journal, uy, baka 2006 pa yung miracles natin. Ano kayang nangyari along the way? It's not that Jesus faltered. I want us to understand is Jesus can cause miracles to happen in your life today. Once again. Amen? I also realize that Jesus' power is not constrained by position. Tama po ba? Am I right to say that sickness is no respecter of men? I mean, cancer doesn't choose if you're poor or rich, if you're influential or not. It simply hits so many people. And yet, Jesus, as we understand, looks into a man who left the comforts of Capernaum to go to Cana, and it gives us a picture that Jesus is not constrained by who you are. He would heal a beggar. He would heal a wealthy official. So don't you ever think that God, that Jesus is only the God of the poor. I am sharing that because I had a conversation with someone last, last, last week. And it's interesting, this was a person who was a new convert to the faith. And the person was like telling me, um, the reason why I am in this church right now is because in my previous church, I feel like, you know, the preacher, well, actually the priest, is insinuating the difference between the poor and the rich. And I, as a rich person, feel so out of place. I feel like Jesus or God is not for me. Well, that is not the case. It's not constrained by any of these things. Here's another one. Jesus' power, I want us to understand, is not constrained by the problem. Not constrained by the problem. I want to look into two things, the particular and the prognosis. What's the particular one here? It says here the son was ill. What's the prognosis? That's ill leading to death. That's illnesses, that's an illness leading to death. That's the prognosis that we have here. And yet, whether that's, come on now, whether that's fever or cancer, to Jesus doesn't really matter. You don't think of these things as this is just a biogesic situation and this is a chemotherapy situation. To Jesus, it doesn't matter whatever the problem is, He heals because that is who He is. Amen. Here's another one. The power of Jesus is not constrained by perception. Not constrained by perception. He wasn't like, I'm gonna cause miracle to happen, but hype me up. Come on, hype me up. He wasn't like that. Doesn't matter if it's surrounded by people who do not believe in Him, but because that is His very nature, that is His very character, when He heals, He heals regardless of the people around Him. So when we start thinking about, okay, doing ministry in Pakistan, uh, difficult to do ministry in Pakistan because people here do not believe Jesus. But wait a second, do you believe Jesus? 
The perception of the people doesn't really matter. I look at this and I realize that faith was a limited element here. It's not just that. It's also a lacking element actually. And it's not dependent on what you bring to the table. But He is pleased with what you bring to the table though. And here's the last thing that I'd like for us to understand. I realize that His power is not constrained, look at this, by place. Listen to this quickly. You know, Craig Kinner, he says, long distance miracles were rare by Old Testament. At their Jewish and Greco-Roman standards, people generally believed prophets and Greek magicians more easily if they were present in person. The rare stories of long-distance miracles suggested to ancient readers that these miracle workers had extraordinary power. I forgot to research how the distance between Capernaum and Galilee, but I would assume it was a long place. It takes days to walk from Capernaum to Galilee. And like what I said a while ago, you know, the official doesn't have to drag to get the answer. Uh, Lord, but I want us to understand this is the Jesus that we worship. He heals from a distance. You know why? Because I realize if you look at this, Jesus has power over space and time, He's not limited to geography. He's the Lord over all creation. He was not limited simply because he was in Cana and the sick boy was in Capernaum. I want us to understand this. Time and space are no barriers for the miracle working power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, I want to look at John chapter 4, verse 15. And I want to end with this. It says here. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And galing, ano? The man took Jesus at his word and simply departed. Like what I said, he knows, he starts realizing who this person is. And I realized this, that the Galileans did not, at that junction, did not experience saving faith. This man experienced saving faith. I realized that Jesus sent the father to his son. He sent the official, the father, back to his son without that man knowing that he's actually sending him to his own father, which is his father God. At the end of this, underneath all of this miracle, like what he said, it's actually something that points us to our Lord Jesus Christ. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorydumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.